unadulterated, unfiltered, opinions on pop culture, religion, politics, and everything in between from a biblical perspective, whilst sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. I'm your host, Kyle Allen, and this is My Thoughts, My Opinions. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to my thoughts, my opinions with yours truly, Kyle Allen. Today's date is June 26. Overall, I've been doing good by the grace of God. The Lord has just been showing me so many things in His Word and brought so much understanding and clarity to the things that I've been reading and seeing. Still uncertain as far as uh, what I'm going to do this year as far as, as far as college goes, but still praying and waiting on the Lord um, to reveal that to me. Today's topic is is one that has been quite controversial, to say the least, um, especially when you're talking about men and women and um, who can say what, who has who authority. And that topic is modesty. Modesty alongside submission has been quite controversial among women in the world and women in the body of Christ. And I would say for some valid reasons. Purity culture has beaten women over the head and has placed full blame on them for being a stumbling block to men. Although misused and abused, we must not let our feelings and experience dictate what the word of God has said. Just because you had a negative experience or take issue with the biblical truth, like modesty, does not make the scriptures any less true. The truth of scripture stands in judgment of men, never do men stand in judgment of it. And quite frankly, many Christian women have allowed the world to pollute their minds with feminism, and as a result, their framework for reasoning has been boxed into male and female instead of truth and falsehood. This results in one being swept up in foolishness and removes the ability to think critically. We must remember we are men and women of truth, which means that truth trumps all things in our lives. Now, before we get into the meat of things, first, we must understand the Christian's desire to work comes from full recognition and understanding of the work done on the cross. It does not derive from an attempt to gain right standing with God, but rather Christ's blood has qualified us to present good works. and Because of that, he is worthy of praise. 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 5 from the NASB 95 reads, As living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Also, look at Cain's sacrifice in Genesis. Cain's sacrifice was rejected because it was not made in faith. But Abel's sacrifice was accepted because his sacrifice was made in faith. So if you're not born again, having Christ's blood testify for you and your works, your modesty and whatever else is in vain. Psalm 127 at verse 1 through 2 from the NIV reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. Moreover, we are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Isaiah 64 verse 6 from the NLT. Every great work is from the outpouring of the gospel. In order for one to have the right attitude toward this topic, they must be consumed by the work of Christ. And the gospel is this, for the wages of sin is death. Because of our sin, God pays us with death. Like wages, he has given us death because we have earned it. We have violated his law, the Ten Commandments, and God takes sin deadly serious. 
so much so he gives man the death sentence. If any man, including myself, were to stand before God on his own merit, that person would be sent to hell because God is righteous and just. If he were to declare you innocent when you are guilty, God would be no different than the judges on this earth. So because we are rebel lawbreakers, God is righteous in his judgment against humanity. However, God is also rich in grace and mercy and has provided a way for guilty sinners to be made right with God. God came down as a human 2,000 years ago in the person Jesus Christ. And for every time you told a lie, Jesus told the truth. For every time you cheated, Jesus did not. For every time you lusted after a woman, Jesus did not. For every time you blasphemed the holy name of God, he didn't. Similar to a court case, if you stand before a judge and the judge says, you have a stack of speeding tickets here and you're going to have to face the consequences. What Jesus has done in this instance is that he has paid the fine. In court, if someone pays the fine, the judge can legally let you go because someone has paid your fine. And this is legal and just. That's why when Jesus was on the cross, his last words were, it is finished. In other words, the debt has been paid. God can grant you everlasting life because what Jesus has done on the cross. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 6 at verse 23 from the NLT. In order to be made right with God, you must do two things. First, you must repent, which is to turn away from your sins and to turn to Jesus. Second, place your trust and faith in him. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 through 10 from the NLT. Cry out to him. Lay out all your sins before his throne and ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to give you a new heart and you have God's promise that you will be saved. You will be declared born again and he will give you a new heart with new desires so you can pursue righteousness. Currently, you are an enemy of God. The Bible says, quote, this includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemy separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, end quote. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21 from the NLT. Quote, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault, end quote. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 22 from the NLT. This is a free gift from God. Quote, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. End quote. Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 8 through 9 from the ESV. You can't save yourself. There's no amount of good you can do to earn the grace of God. The Bible says we are utterly helpless before God. God sees your good deeds as filthy rags because your good is imperfect. Your righteousness doesn't match the righteousness of Christ which is why he came down in the flesh. To lay down your life for someone is true love. And God has expressed his love for us with his death on the cross. Once again, to receive this payment, you must do two things. First, you must repent, which is to turn away from your sins and to turn to Jesus. Second, place your trust and faith in him. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 through 10 from the NLT. There is nothing in this life that you could do that would disqualify you from this grace God has expressed through his son. His grace is sufficient to cover all sins. And you will know that you are saved because your life will match with the Bible.
If you have doubts, test your life with the scriptures. So as we move into this topic, remember why we do the things we do. We live to glorify the Lord with our works that have been covered in the blood of Jesus, making our sacrifices a pleasing aroma to the Lord. To break this down, I first want to look at how the world understands modesty. For many women, modesty denotes a certain connotation. Skirts and dresses, no jeans, clothing that covers every inch on the body, straight hair, no makeup. Unfortunately, many women have experienced this destructive culture that is gospel deficient. One of those women being Katie Cloyd, who writes in her blog, Scary Mommy, quote, We sign abstinence pledges. Purity rings grace millions of adolescent fingers. Some fathers and daughters even attended purity balls, where they got dressed in their Sunday best, and little girls promised their daddies that they would remain pure by abstaining from sex until marriage. She goes on to say, Any sexual thought or feeling I had was sin, and no level of self-control could make me truly pure unless I could take my thoughts captive too. Until I was married, I had to preserve my modesty, mainly for the sake of my male peers. Causing a boy to sin was a sin for me too. Trusted adults told me that just a glimpse of my bra strap or the curve of my breast could cause a boy to lust after me, and I believe them. End quote. Now, here lies the problem with all this. Modesty in this instance has, lift, has been lifted above the cross, which has distorted the reason for a person to be modest. Secondly, the sin against man is more egregious than a sin against God. You guys, you got to understand this. When you fornicate, when you commit adultery, when you lie, that sin was against God. When you stand on judgment day, who was on the throne deciding judgment? One person who understood this was David. We look at Psalm 51 from the NIV when David killed the husband of Bathsheba. He didn't repent to man. He didn't ask for the mercy of man. David said, have mercy on me, O God, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. We pursue holiness and desire to live righteously because of our fear of the Lord, not what some goofy man is saying. Jesus is so precious to us that his words in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26 from the ESV range true in our lives. Quote, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It doesn't mean you hate your parents or your fellow man. Jesus was doing a comparison that our love for him should be so great that people look at your love for him and think, wow, by comparison, you hate your parents. Your love for God is that great. And if it isn't, seek the Lord about that. Forget what man thinks. Fear not the one who kills the body, but the one who kills the body and the soul. That whole notion, I don't want to sin against my fellow man, is unbiblical. But that's what happens when you remove the cross from these topics. As I have mentioned previously, man has no motivation to do anything that is, quote, good without Christ. Because when you take away the gospel, this is going to end up worse for the individual because you are trying to force a goat to be a sheep. A goat is a goat and cannot be changed. He is still bound to sin and death. Therefore, he only lives to indulge the flesh. It's like trying to force a square into a triangle. It doesn't fit, no matter how many ways you try to spin it. It's like you're telling someone who doesn't know math to solve a calculus problem. Sure, they can solve it under your direct guidance, but when they leave you, they're lost. They don't know the material on an intimate level to the point where they can explain it. 
So one must be freed by Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit in order to have true conviction, true change. If you don't, then you don't have saving faith, only behavior modification. However, this is how the world understands modesty. Let's go to God's word and see what he has to say about modesty. 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 8 through 10 from the ESV reads, I desire then that in every place that men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works, end quote. Since we have read the scripture, it's time to dissect this to understand what is being said. But before we get to that, I would just like to make an important note. A proper study should involve more questions than answers. Let your observations conceive questions. We're going to work from the outside first, then jump in. So let us begin with our first question, which is, who wrote this? Well, we know that Paul wrote this book. How do we know Paul wrote this book? 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, end quote. Number three, who was Timothy? Timothy was one of Paul's assistants. Timothy traveled with Paul for much of his missionary career and was one of Paul's best beloved and most trusted assistants. At the time this letter was written, Timothy was an overseer at the church of Ephesus. Number four, what happened in chapter one? Well, Paul was addressing the false teachings in Ephesus, which included false doctrines, endless genealogies, myths, and so-called teachers of the law who were misapplying the law. And it's an important thing to note that epistles are focusing on the particular problems of that church. Now we go to chapter 2, where Paul moves to the areas of conduct in God's household that were affected by false teachers. Community life had been corrupted in worship and gender roles. Verses 1 through 7 deals with prayer. Verse 1, quote, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, end quote. This includes even people in authority of the land. And why is that? At verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. End quote. Moving on to verses 5 through 6, Paul continues, For the quote there is, for there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time, end quote. Compact teachings, as in these verses, occur throughout the letters of Timothy and Titus. They might be adapted bits of creeds, hymns, or prayers that were known to the churches. The doctrines referenced probably relate to Paul's trouble with the false teachers. It appears their teaching undercut the universal appear of the good news and the effectiveness of the Gentile mission. The false teachers also had a deficient understanding of Jesus and his salvation. Then after verse 7, Paul touches on the deportment of men and women in verses 8 through 10. Quote, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Though he just says only men, Paul connects his command to women with the next verse through the word likewise. And to finish out, Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in, the res in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. So let's evaluate this. 
Why does Paul give this prescription only to women? I believe Paul isolates women in this instance because maybe beauty is a woman's glory. This distinction between orders of men and women show that we are different. This is a reoccurring theme with men and women in the scriptures. The logic because men aren't specifically told to be modest, therefore men don't have to be modest, is stupid. In Ephesians chapter 5, at verse 22 through 25, women are called to respect their husband, while men must love their wives. Should women not love their husbands? Of course they should. It's just saying men and women have different needs. Also, when applying to the biblical qualifications of a pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 2, this reasoning falls short. Should Christians not be above reproach? That's just describing a mature Christian. Of course, men should be modest as, as well, but Paul is addressing the particular struggles of the church. Women, more often than men, struggle with body image and appearance. A study conducted by the American Society of Plastic Surgeons reveals from its 2014 plastic surgery statistics that women accounted for 92% of all cosmetic procedures, with the remaining 8% going to men. Demographic trends spell it out in big numbers this way. 13.6 million total cosmetic procedures were performed for women in 2014, while 1.3 million total cosmetic procedures were recorded for men. That means both men and women were seeking plastic surgery as well as non-invasive cosmetic treatments. So the Holy Spirit knows this struggle women have, which is why he prompted Paul to instruct women to draw attention to their good works and the hidden person of the heart. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 22 from the ESV reads, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. A woman who is centered on the way she styles her hair, jewelry, makeup, etc. is purposely, or who knows unknowingly, trying to disguise the ills of her heart. You want everyone focused on the gold ring when they should be looking at your good works. Such a woman glorifies herself and not Christ because people are seeing accessories before Christ the hidden person in your heart. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 30 from the ESV also reads, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The attention that you seek is cheap. It's not hard to get a man to lust after you, and you wonder why you have the same group of men approaching you, saying all men are trash. Oftentimes women will not work from within, but they will seek out and seek out as a means to replace what's within. Those who don't pursue validation from the Father seek validation from men. If a man is solely pursuing you based on your looks, let it be a red flag to you. But you would rather a man do that because it gratifies your flesh. I mean, be honest, you like those compliments from men. John chapter 2 at verse 16 from the ESV, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from this world, end quote. Oh, well, I want to look good for myself. Then why did you post it on social media? You're not really posting for yourself because it's on social media, and social media is meant for people to see. I will believe you if you made your account private and only allowed your post to be viewed by yourself. But that's not the case. Jumping right back, so what does it mean to adorn oneself? Adorn means to decorate, to present oneself for the purpose of drawing attraction or to beautify. Also, when adorn is being used with women, it typically involves a modifier, i.e. jewelry, makeup. So how is a godly woman supposed to adorn herself? Well, back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, quote, with respectable apparel, with modestly and self-control. 
What is respectable clothing? As the scripture says, respectable clothing is modest and discreet. Now notice what Paul doesn't do. He doesn't give a list of apparel. So why doesn't God give a guide for modest clothing? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 from the NIV, quote, Or do you not know that the Lord's people would judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? End quote. God believes his people have enough sense to judge such things in the proper manner. And can we not interpret and discern these things? Is it that hard? We do have the Holy Spirit after all. Also, I believe in God's sovereignty. He knew that saints would live in various environments. So setting a standard of clothing could be problematic when you spin the globe. For example, if God ordained that all believers must wear wool cloaks, that would be extremely problematic in places like Nevada, California, and Florida. So how shouldn't a woman adorn herself? 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9 from the NASB 95 reads, Not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works as is proper for a woman making a claim to godliness. End quote. So to wrap this up, in like manner, women should have their hands lifted up in prayer. That should be the main focus of the church. Not caught up in adorning themselves in fancy clothing, jewelry, etc., because that takes away from the worship of God. And dressing immodestly contradicts your claim to godliness. It's about emphasizing His image, not your own. Don't get caught up in clothing, get caught up in Christ. And to build on top of 1 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 1-4 through from the ESV. Quote, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectable and pure conduct, don't let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in, which in God's sight is very precious, end quote. Before diving in, I would like to first point out this verse is linked with 1 Peter chapter 2 at verse 18, where it speaks about the relationship between a slave and his master. That's why verse 3 says, likewise, or in other translations, like manner. In addition to this, 36% of chapter 3 is speaking on godly living within the context of marriage. Now in the ESV, it doesn't say this, but NASB 95 does. Why in verse 3 do they add the word merely? Well, Merely means just, only. This verse is saying the same as 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 8 through 10. Braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire should not be the focus of the women. So where does beauty come from? Quote, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious and by means of good works. Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 25 from the ESV, strength and dignity are her clothing and she lasts at the time to come. To synthesize these verses, the Holy Spirit prompted Paul to instruct women to draw attention to their good works and the hidden person of their heart who is Jesus. Women should have their hands lifted up in prayer at every place, not caught up in adorning themselves in fancy clothing, jewelry, etc. because that takes away the focus from the worship of God. Moreover, dressing immodestly contradicts your claim to godliness. A godly woman doesn't demand to be praised or recognized, nor does she do things in hope others would see her. It's about emphasizing his image, not your own. 
Don't get caught up in accessories, get caught up in Christ. This takes us to the second half of the discussion. What does modesty look like? Well, it depends. Both in 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, neither Paul nor Peter presented a list of appropriate attire for the church. And I believe this for two reasons. Number one, when I brought up 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 2, God believes his people have enough sense to judge these things in the proper manner. We have the Holy Spirit, so we should be able to discern based on our environment, based on our climate, what we should wear. Because I believe that it would be quite problematic if God did institute a set of attire for his people. When you begin to spin the globe and you go to areas like Australia, Florida, California, Nevada, that would be quite difficult, especially if you're talking about, for example, I declare that all my people wear bubble coats. Well, Lord, it's a hundred and 10 degrees today. I don't I don't know if I could necessarily do that. You know, so um and that just blows my mind. The wisdom of God is just like man. Uh but anywho, with this understanding, anyone who orders you to a particular attire is a legalist because that's not found in scripture. Anything that's being held as on the same level of authority of scripture but isn't in the text is legalism. So if there isn't a guy, you may ask, what can I wear? Romans chapter 14 at verse 22 to 23 from the NLT reads, quote, You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether you, whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions. If you do, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning, end quote. The answer to that is to obey convictions of the Holy Spirit. In these issues where there isn't a clear answer, we have to submit to the Spirit and use the common sense God has given us. You know when something is immodest and out of pocket. But based on those convictions, you must adhere to them because if you don't and wear something you know that is not approved by the Spirit, you are sinning. And this, is, and this also leads to the point of how those not working this out with the Spirit are supposed to treat people who are. I'm not going to go and tell somebody they can't wear something and dress modestly if they haven't been convicted by the Spirit. Even if they do listen to my command, at that that point, it's behavior modification and not a true change of heart about their dress. At reading Romans 14 at verse 20, Paul is telling us not to make a muck of the work of Christ. Do not take what was done on the cross and reduce it to what one eats or wears. So we must not dictate the conscience of man. That must be this Holy Spirit's doing. But this is where women elders step in to guide young women. Titus chapter chapter 2 at verse 3 through 5 from the NIV reads, quote, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God, end quote. This quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones perfectly encapsulates my point. We must not give a ready-made Christian position. If we do, what will happen to the young Christian when he encounters something that's not on the list? If the guidance we give becomes dictation, it is no longer guidance, and that, does, and that does despite to the Holy Spirit and to the man's own personality. Is it right to advise a young Christian against a thing, though he does not see it? If he acts on your dictum, it will be because you have spoken 
and not because of his understanding. The New Testament appeal for holiness and sanctification is always an appeal to the reason of the believing man, an appeal to the an appeal to work out the doctrine in terms of practical life. You must ask, is it right for us to take the position of conscience to another? That procedure produces smug, self-satisfied Christians. It makes them think they have arrived and therefore they stop thinking. It is a negative view of holiness. The thing that matters is not the figure we cut before people, but are pressing unto him. The more people, the more people live the dictated life, as also in Roman and Anglo, Anglo-Catholicism, the poor the spiritual life. When a man has to fight and think these things out for himself, it makes him a stronger man in Christ, end quote. So to give some guidance here, if you're still kind of trying to discern what is a proper dress and what is decent dress, uh, Romans chapter 14 and verse 13 from the ESV. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Once again, be guided by the Spirit. You know what you're doing, and so does God. So if the Spirit is telling you not to do something because that will cause somebody to stumble, you better listen. And don't hold contempt or be resentful to that believer who could stumble. But if you're convicted in your own conscience, keep it pushing. Don't go rubbing that freedom in the face of other believers. With that said, I want to address the opposition against modesty and the whole a man speaking on this topic, speaking on a topic that involves women. So a pushback could be, why should I dress modestly? Men will lust after me anyways. Heard this from numerous people. So to respond to that, so you're telling me your faithfulness to God is hinged upon another man? Because someone has forsaken the truth, you do likewise? I mean, it it, kind of reminds me of the song, Should Have Cheated by Keisha Cole. Because of all the evil done unto you, that now gives you the license to return the favor. So, like, in a sense, it's like essentially a sin back. You are returning fire with fire. And this shows you don't do things for pleasing the Lord, but to feel that you are doing a good thing and are trying to earn brownie points for being, quote, the bigger person. It's not of the grace of God, but works. Furthermore, you don't understand that before a man, you must answer to God, quote, for am I now seeking the favor of men or God, or am I striving to please men? If I were to try and please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ, end quote, Galatians chapter one and verse 10 from the ESV. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, Ephesians chapter six and verse seven. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. Colossians chapter 3 at verse 23. Why can't I wear what I want to or do whatever I want? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 at verse 19 through 20 from the ESV. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body, end quote. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 at verse 31 from the ESV. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, end quote. Romans chapter 12 at verse 1 through 2 from the ESV. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
What's wrong with being sexy? Well, Proverbs 7 at verse 10 from the ESV. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, willy of heart. Sexy, as defined by the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, means sexually suggestive or stimulating. So you, a Christian woman, want to be the one who arouses men. One who intentionally stirs the lustful desires of men. Those who may claim to godliness should not be known for their, quote, sexiness, but for the hidden person in your heart and good works. Uh, if you just struggle with less, just say that. Well, for one, I don't. You're speaking to a new creature who has overcome a seven-year struggle with lust by the blood of the lamb. Try again. Moreover, your response is quite telling. So what if I did struggle with lust? You're going to hold contentment and resentment for a brother? Very telling of your immaturity in your heart toward God and his people. Don't tell a woman what to do. Stay out of a woman's business. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you the scripture. The rest is up to the Holy Spirit and your obedience. I'm not here to give a list of approved clothing, but to preach the scriptures to you and allow the Spirit to do his work and convicting and guiding you on what to do. So I have to cover my neck and ankles? No. That's legalism, and the question is quite immature. But to women who do, there is no problem with that. Yet some of y'all have fallen into Psalm 1. You walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, and now sit in the seat of scoffers. It's funny how feminism results in friendly fire. What should I wear to the beach? As I've said before, follow the convictions of the spirit. And I want you to really evaluate your motives. Speaking particularly to black women, and sorry for the stereotype, but you know good and well, you are not getting in that water. At black pool parties, black people don't even get in the water. They just stand around. So why are you wearing a bikini? To post yourself on social media about to break your back, trying to give the illusion you're thick? Congratulations, you played yourself. And have men leave thirsting comments lusting after you? In closing, I would like to say that I sympathize with those who have been hurt by the misappropriation of this biblical truth. It has produced behavior modification instead of everlasting fruit. I pray that I brought clarity upon this topic and the Spirit would illuminate and aid you in applying the scripture to your life. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes another installment of My Thoughts, My Opinions. Remember, your voice matters, so please share your thoughts and opinions on these topics at MTS underscore MOS on all socials where you can find me and remain updated on all information about the podcast. When you post your opinion, tag me or put hashtag my thoughts, my opinions. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd appreciate a rating on wherever you're listening to this. Or if you simply tell a friend about the show, that would help me as well. Thank you. Stay up, stay blessed, peace.